hey, let's get Mikey. Let's get. He'll <laughs> <laughs> eat anything. That's he likes it, right? Hey, That's totally the feeling. Did you get that sense in in hindsight that you were setting me up? Yeah, we were like. Having done this a long time, like I, I know those are anxiety producing, but always like the the cool thing. Yeah. <laughs> like afterward, I'm like so glad I did it. Um, yeah. How'd it go for you after you did it? I, I think that should be apparent in the in my contribution to the show this week or last week. Uh, I, I it was it was quite impactful. But I want to open with an email. Can I? Can I open with an email from Carlene yeah. to me that I don't think mm-hmm. I've shared with you? Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of that experiential exercise, uh, she she wrote me right after. It was a couple of days. I think it was over the the next weekend that she said, "Hi, Pete, Carlene here from Dodge's podcast. She's adorable. First of all, I know, amazing. <laughs> like you've already forgotten about her. Yeah, right, right. Like I could ever forget." Carlene. And she she said, I have been feeling bad since our demo on Friday. I'm embarrassed and regretful about how abruptly and inelegantly I handled our ending. Uh, I think I was probably thrown off by the weed whacker and the bathroom sound. (laughs) Because she ended up recording some of it in her bathroom bathroom to get away from this weed whacker that was just going bonkers right outside her window. Uh, and, and I worried how much time we were using, and it's no use, no excuse, just an explanation. I'm so grateful you were willing to talk about such a painful and current subject and sad that I didn't handle it with more grace. Please accept my apology, and I hope you and your health improves soon. She is wonderful, and I wrote her back. We've had an exchange about this, and I said, you you don't, don't need to be saddled with any of that. In fact, as you heard in my contribution to the show this week, I it was sort of insidious her like that whole the whole lesson uh that we sort of un unspooled at the end the way she uses gestalt and this partner exercise to uh subtly reprogram how i talk to myself and make me so incredibly aware when i'm just being trite when you're just being trite what do you mean just using just just falling back on the tropiest of self-talk right positive coaching self-talk which is just like you can do it i know you can do it you're feeling down but you're, you're a star you're you're a big big star you're a bright shiny star you can do it don't worry pete you're amazing right <laughs> that's that ends up being super tropey that's like not that's like from a bad movie and yet and you said it as we i don't know i don't think we actually included it in the show but as we finished the conversation with carlene you actually i think you said something like man we use that kind of language with ourselves all the time yeah for all not the shaming time. the hell out of ourselves we're like yes come on you can do it it's just empty it's just it, it since that experience with her it, that language has resonated with a sort of emptiness to me. And and I've been talking about it a lot. The ADHD podcast I do, I immediately went and I shared the experience of that weekend that I had and how what kind of it looks like to be obsessively like hyper-focusing, like using all of my ADHD superpowers to focus on my the, the panic attack that I was experiencing and just spiraling horribly for hours and hours and only realizing at the end at that level of just complete exhaustion that it was Carlene's language that was helping me figure out the way to the other side of it. I would say Carlene and Ted uh, together, like just asking those questions of myself. I didn't even need a buddy. 
I didn't even need a buddy. Wow. I just found that the questions started to come naturally. And the one that you uh, have adapted to so well with me is, how's that working out for you? And <laughs> that question carries so much damn weight now because the answer is never, eh, great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. So the I don't know. I'm just I, I feel like I'm just uh, I'm spinning a little bit here. How'd you feel about it? What do you think? Well, you're really helping me. Like one of the things I, I worried about a little bit, both during the interview and in, in hearing the recording of it was I'm aware it's it, you know, it's therapist talking to enthusiastic therapist and that not all of our listeners are therapists. Right. Like we're not all working Wait, with clients. And, and I, I just worried a little bit that like we'd gotten maybe too far into theory or talked about it too much in the context of that kind of relationship and i and i kept wanting to make sure i'm steering this back to yeah but how, how does this affect our self-talk so if gestalt has one of as one of its major pillars this paradoxical theory of change aptly named for our show by the way mm-hmm. yeah right show-offs <laughs> that theory of change is really helpful but only if we can use it to join with ourselves only if we can use it when we ourselves are in a panic attack and in kind of a death spiral that's wrecked our saturday um and it really helps me to know even my dear friend pete was able to turn around just two days later and go wait a minute i could talk to myself a little differently right now Mm -hmm. and that ted's voice kind of was in your head too or maybe Mm -hmm. ben's that at some level, like yeah, all yeah. of them, it sounds like we're helping you not either beat yourself up or rah, 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 cheer your way out of it in a way that just wasn't helping. You know, that's an, that's an interesting observation because I think, and this is one of the things that I've been sort of stewing on, that I, I, it was only after I had gotten really so exhausted, I'm talking like 15 hours into the experience, like I'm so exhausted at this point that those voices start to come out. And I'm realizing in hindsight what what I was sort of naturally doing. I, what I miss and what I miss in the experience is uh, is that trigger, that surprising, uh, that uh, unexpected, that thing that's going to help jar me in a new direction because I was spiraling with intense negative thought spirals. Right. And um, and so I couldn't. In spite of all the tools that I have as a guy who thinks of himself as pretty mindful and aware and somebody who experiences things like this with you and with, uh, you know, in in my job day to day, I think I'd like to think I think fairly deeply uh, about these things. And and I I could not muster the kind of trigger that I needed to jar me in a new direction when I was in the middle of it, right? That was incredibly difficult because I I felt very lost. And I, I don't think I'm alone for people who experience panic attacks. Like, I I don't think, I, I think that's, that's probably uh, pretty normal. At least it's normal for my experience. And I've been thinking a lot about this because, you know, uh, I uh, just presented... Uh, uh, and have been researching a bunch on on joy, right? The experience of joy and and 
you know, what what do people do who are studying joy and use that sort of surprising sort of, uh, I've been calling them joy triggers, like things that make you laugh that when you're, you know, when you're feeling like uh, you, you start to move in this direction of a, of a th- negative thought spiral or something like that, and you have tools that can inspire a quick bout of joy, a quick dopamine push to actually help you move in a new direction, to remind you of your experience in place and time and move in a new direction. And I couldn't muster one for this. I, mm. I had I had nothing for this. And so to, I want to bring it back to your point because I know I'm rambling here. But the um, the the part of the conversation that's therapist to therapist, uh, I feel like that's where when she said you got to go to know. That's the part I feel like I was kind of missing. I got like a just a taste. And boy, if there is something that would help me figure out how to use these. The, the gestalt approach and improve my self-talk to the point that I could trigger a change of behavior when I need it most, when I'm sinking deeply into my own head, boy, that would be amazing. Yeah. What do you got, Doc? It's it's a good question. So I'm pausing a little bit because I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to give some thought to it. Um, the best questions always take a little more considered answer. So I was thinking about what, what does this paradoxical theory of change add? If we go back a little bit, we rewind to session one. Ben came in and he's saying essentially we can't force our feelings to change, at least not without repercussions. But if we can join them, we don't have to. And Dave was saying, and we can't change life's givens, these ones like everything changes and ends and people are not always loving and loyal all the time and pain's part of life. Remember those? But mm-hmm. if we accept them with an unconditional yes, we don't have to. And Ted came in saying, we can't change others. We can't really even rush our, our change process. But if we really join them as they are where they are, again, we don't have to. And this paradoxical theory of change comes in saying, really, in effect, we can't change ourselves, like the deep self without embracing ourselves as we are who we are. Not at first, at least, right? Carl Rogers, even, from his, you know, very different point of view, from a very different kind of therapy, said the same thing. The curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I can change. So what I'm wondering is, what would it be like to accept a panic attack right in the middle of it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like it sounds yes <laughs> batshit crazy clinical term yeah, it there. sure does right uh-huh. it sounds like accepting drowning yeah right but in effect like often what stops a panic attack is our willingness to be in the panic attack and breathe mm-hmm. slow down the exhales and be willing to have the panic attack. A client of mine, I rarely see kids, but a client of mine um, begged me and begged me and begged me to work with her daughter who was having panic attacks every time they went to the mall years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I saw her just once. We had a long conversation with her mom involved because she was pretty young. And here was their assignment. I'd like you to go to the mall next time expecting to have a panic attack. Let's plan on it. You 
usually how long does it take before you have one? Oh, about 30 minutes. Great. So, set you a know, clock. Set a clock. Yep. And when it starts, I want you to take her hand and say, good, here we go. We're going to go sit on a bench and we're going to have one together. We're going to take as much time as we need. going to have a nice long one if you need to. And uh, we're going to sit on the bench and have a panic attack. And the more permission she gave her daughter to have a panic attack, <laughs> the faster they went away. That's all they did from then on out was just, oh, good. Let's have Practice. another one. We'll Are sit down and we'll have it together. I'm yeah. right here. I'll have one yeah. with you. Right? They never called me again about it. Like, that was the end of that. Yeah. But most of us yeah. as adults are sure we've got the equipment and all this knowledge in our brains that says, I'm probably going to die of this, but maybe I'm not going to die of this, but God, I should have figured it out by now. I mean, I think of myself as reasonably aware you'd think I'd be on top of these by now, right? All of that shit instead of just, yeah, right, right. Here I am having one. I wonder what that feels like. Yeah. Do you know what the sensations of a panic attack feel like? I mean, can you call them up if you think about it right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell me what's yeah. going on. Yeah, pretty quick. Well, and because, you know, part of what I'm dealing with in my health right now requires me to be taking all kinds of readings all all throughout the day, right? Blood yeah. pressure, heart rate, all these things and uh, blood oxygen. I have to do this multiple times a day. And so like the because I already have a natural locked and loaded anxiety about this stuff. Now I'm focusing on it by doctor's orders. And when those readings start to go south, yeah, I, I, I feel it right away. You know, and, and I, I get it. Like, I hear that and I feel like, oh, I can I could probably use the little girl's technique. Like, I get it. Like, I'll just I could plan for a panic attack. I know what that feels like. I know when my chest seizes up. I know when my vision gets tunneled. I know when my, you know, I know what it feels like when my heart rate changes and muscles tend to spike and seize up and can't yeah. breathe. It's great. And so. I heard Carlene talking about, so how do I meet myself where I am? Yeah. And that would be even crazier than, than just as Ben was talking about it. It was like, how do I have these feelings more or less on purpose? Or Dave's idea of like, okay, instead of calling this bad, what if I just embrace this with the unconditional yes? Okay, pain's part of life. Here comes my version of that. It's just... It's a mm -hmm. huge amount of fear coming down the tracks at me like a freight train. Mm -hmm. And Carlene is saying, what if I can even identify the part of me that doesn't want to stop? Wait, say more about that. Well, that's where it's, it at first sounds crazy. I'm having a panic attack. Of course I want it to stop. Shut up, Dodge, right? Like, that's got to mm -hmm. be somewhere mm -hmm. in your head right now. Um, I think she would yes, say, like, my head right now. what is the part of you that is having a panic attack and needs to continue for a little while longer? Maybe there's some part of you that believes that could keep you safe. Oh, right, right, right. I wasn't going there. My hypervigilance might be protecting me. Now, that's not a conscious thought. All you're thinking is, help me stop drowning. Yeah. But there's something in you that, that thinks, if I could just stay scared longer, it would protect me from something. And now you then you start to be trying to protect yourself from your own fear. And so you really start to spiral. Yeah. 
which is where it was. And that's, that is a really interesting thing. And I wonder just how much of this can be generalized. Again, please think beyond me, world, because, uh, you know, I feel like my experience of it is in hindsight, only in hindsight, that um, it rationalizes or justifies my fear. See, I'm in the, now I'm in the middle of a panic attack. I sure I'm sure I'm glad this panic attack justifies that I already have, you know, anxiety around my heart and vascular system and lungs and all kinds of things like I'm already living that experience of like scared of stuff. And then the panic attack makes it real. Whew, I'm sure glad that's an uh, that's like a truth loop, you know, right. <laughs> like an emotional truth loop. Right. You heard it here first. What if that's like always there? That's how we get stuck. Uh-huh. That truth oh, loop goes see? round and round and round. Yep. Yeah. And the last thing we think we should be doing is adding to it. Right? Like, yeah. By right, finding right. reasons why we don't want it to change. That sounds crazy. I mean, talk about it paradoxical. Yeah. 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 Um, I just had a conversation just this morning i mean um and it, it was with a gentleman who i've worked with for a long time really love this guy he was calling up feeling really stuck he gave me permission to talk about this by the way um he's really really stuck in his life he doesn't like where he works he doesn't like where he lives he doesn't have enough relationships in his life um the ones that matter the very most to him uh, right now feel like they're way off track. And he's aware at some level because he's really bright. I mean, he's an old soul kind of guy. He's aware at some level, I need to do something. But he's been aware of that for years, and at some level, he's not doing it. And so he's calling up today going, I need to, I really want to figure out what am I going to do with the rest of my life. I want to know that big change is possible. <laughs> and I responded much the way Carlene would. Well, maybe you're not ready. And he laughed and he said, you know, I was ready for you to say, it's absolutely possible. Of course it's possible. <laughs> we got all kinds yeah, of ways it's right. possible. Let me give you a list of the ways it's possible. And uh, we both laughed about that for a while because, yeah. of course, that's what he would hope I would say. But then I was like, but that's only one part of you that hopes I would say that. Yeah, right. The thing it's is... It's like that's the most obvious part of you that hopes I would say that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Right. But I've said that to him a million times. He said that to himself a yeah. hundred million times. Everybody yeah. has said that to him. He knows that yeah. already. But he's not doing any of those things. So saying that to him one more time isn't going to help. Right. So instead, I said to him, but what if there's a real part of you, a part of you that matters, that's invested in the ambivalence, that lives right at that balance point of the teeter-totter? And right now, it needs to stay neither all the way ready to change or all the way stuck. And he's like, I don't know, I'm pretty all the way stuck. And I was like, yeah, but you're calling me. There's still a part of you that's yeah. ready to change it. And that's after we get who, off this phone, is... as we have many times before, there'll still be a part of you that's going, no, nah, not ready yet. Don't think but I can But he's still make... on top of the 10-meter board. He climbed all the way up there. 
and he may be standing right at the edge with one foot out over the edge. And just because he hasn't fallen off yet doesn't mean he's going to climb back down. We don't know, right? So I said, what if there's a part of you, though, that really needs to stay there a little while longer? If I jump on the side of the teeter-totter that says, you can do it, you can do it, you can, right? Then he's going to have to go all the way out to the other side of the teeter-totter. And no, I can't, no, I can't, that won't work either. Just to keep it ambivalent. So we had a whole conversation around what part of him might want to have his foot on the gas and on the brake. Now he knows about the part that's on the brake in conscious ways. He could talk about it. Because he lives it every day. But I think, and what I said to him was, I think there's another part of you that's also got an emergency brake pulled that you don't know about. So we had this really cool conversation about a part of him that's really scared to make a move. And I just did everything I could to support that side of him. That's actually not just petrified or young or paralyzed. That's smart. There is a part of you that is that really wants to be sure he doesn't screw this up because the consequences could be big. Yeah, sure. And then we got to talk also about what is it that really matters about the change. We did both. Why why would you want to stay here? But then also what is it that you really want that matters about the change? And he finally came down to, oh, somehow I'd never quite put it together that my real priority is the relationships, not the circumstances. That's what I really want. If nothing else changes but that, my life will be much better. And if everything else changes but that, my life won't be much different. Sure. And from there, for the first time in a long time, he got off the phone, ready to take phone numbers and make a move. He had moved to that kind of action part of those stages of change that Ted talked about. Yeah. He was pretty clear that wasn't going to happen. Even though he wanted me to rah-rah cheer him on, that wasn't going to happen if we went to, of course it can change. Here's what you do. Yeah. 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 Does this make sense? You sort of, that's, yeah, and that's what I feel like, um, that's, I feel like, a huge lesson learned for me about all of this, which is, like, hearing the rah-rah in my head is is easy. It's it's like stapling at the end of that, you know, yeah, you can do it. You can change if you want to. You can do this. It's totally fine. Or maybe not. Mm-hmm. Right? Because when I'm when you're stuck in the middle of the rah-rah speech, you are not taking advantage of something that that Carlene, I think, illustrated quite well, which is you're not taking advantage of the context of you in the world, in your emotional space, where you are right now, right? You're not, and and that is central to gestalt, which is just let's let's be aware of our place in time and space, right? And that's really important. And that or maybe not for me opens a conversation with myself or in that partner exercise that examines and at least allows us to examine the alternative path to just assumed success because there's always an alternative path or many to assumed success. Yep. And the alternative doesn't have to be assumed failure, which is usually the right. 
kind of the false choice we force ourselves into. We put our we corner ourselves with that kind of thinking, and sure, that's something I try to catch in myself. Is when I've got myself cornered with my language or my thoughts or the narrative I'm telling myself. If I don't change this, then I am just exactly the whatever loser I thought, yeah. or the same lazy person, or that well, like whatever name I want to call myself that day is usually, yeah, the problem. One of the things that I think is really important for us to know about the or not is sometimes there really is something valuable about staying there. We haven't learned the rest of what we needed to learn from that yet. And if I could share what one of the things that really stuck with me after Carlene's yeah. uh, interview um it was that quote she shared at the very end. Do you remember the Parker Palmer co- quote? It went like this. True self, when violated, will always resist us, sometimes at great cost, holding our lives in check until we honor its truth. True self, when violated, will always resist us, sometimes at great cost, holding our lives in check until we honor its truth. It sounds crazy to think that my depression or your panic or, for that matter, your remaining COVID symptoms or anything else we might be talking about, this lovely gentleman's stuckness or anybody, right? That there is some true self in there. That there's something that's getting violated when it is simply dismissed as broken, as only problematic. And I don't know that anybody, I don't know that I in all these years with that gentleman have ever really said to him, I get why you're scared. There's real wisdom in your caution. There's a lot to lose here. I don't think he's ever given himself that credit. I think he just calls himself names. And maybe there's something even deeper in uh, your focus is always on stopping drinking or changing your eating or getting a house you finally like, right? Instead of what he really wants to change is his relationship with his kid. And maybe there's the true self that's been resisting him all this time. We'll see. But I wonder, right? You stop and sit in the or not for a little bit, for just a little bit and take a breath and just say, like, I'm going to play this out. I'm going to play this out willingly, authentically, wholly. Uh, I know he would never discover that. Yeah, you're right. To just pause and say, what if you're not dumb or crazy and you're not quite finished yet? Much as you'd like to change this, maybe you're not quite finished yet. You spend a lot of time talking about this with other people at, at work, obviously. How does this stuff, like you have that conversation with Carlene, how does that stuff impact you at home? Do you notice? Yeah, I'm finding it's changing my own self-talk. Every one of these guests is certainly changing how I'm practicing with clients, too. But it's, I believe it. I think it's helping me be a little gentler on that kid in me the part of me that's not quite ready to change that just isn't finished yet 
And I don't even recognize him as not finished yet if I don't give him some credit for being able to change when he's ready. If mm -hmm. I just assume it's my there's my brokenness again, there's that screwed up part of me that I hate, well, then there's there isn't even the beginning of some possibility that there's some wisdom there that has gone unrecognized, that there's a true self that's being violated by changing too quickly. Yeah. So I'm hoping to right along with everybody else um, slow down and believe a little in the slower you go the faster you get there yeah and believe in Parker Palmer's idea that the true self the soul as he says is shy we have to get kind of quiet for it to come forward to show us what it really needed I, I, uh, it's, it's always gratifying to wrap up these conversations with that message. Frankly, personally, I need to hear that from you because it's, it's so easy to, uh, to get into a position of sort of imbalance because this is your work every day. This is the work of your head and heart every day. And, uh, I feel like a, um, uh, there's, there's not a little bit of like guest or not quite imposter, but, just remembering, just just like balancing out the scales that, in fact, we're all human. And I love hearing what you learn and the way you learn it. And I think I learn more by hearing how you internalize these lessons. Uh, mm. and I find it very, very helpful. So I appreciate that. Well, I really appreciate your saying that. I just want to be clear with you and anybody else out there listening. Like, I don't have all these answers. Mm -hmm. I... I get a little more time to practice because I get to think about this all time, all the time because of all the beautiful things my clients bring me. But, um, I mean, it was as recently as last night that I felt, you know, angry and dysregulated and went to bed in a huff and woke up feeling, you know, some despair about it. And uh, I was just in a bit of a mess. And um, so... And I'm working on this all the time, doing my best too. And uh, and just this conversation right here reminds me like, okay, so what about that part of me? Does that have to be only broken? Like that when I got mad, oh, I, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't say all the, the perfect things? Or that oh, I got yeah. mad at all, does that have to be bad? Like, can I slow down a minute and be like, well, no, wait. What was going on there for me? Is it okay that I don't have this all figured out as a parent? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, as a parent when, ah, man, when you make your life a practice of being mindful of all of these things and a study of all the incredible experts that have come before and of all of their shared wisdom and you have written and thought and produced and practiced and been graded on their expertise and then you become a parent and forget every goddamn thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I would like to state for the record like that it is uh it's one of the most um stimulating, difficult and absolutely humbling roles in my entire life. I mean, it's got to be the top of that that mountain. Like I I um <laughs> I'm regularly very disappointed in myself. <laughs> and, uh, it's like it's because of how much I want to nail it and do it so perfectly and be that 
perfect dad to my beautiful boy and um and yeah. i'm just often like you want to oh, be the guy he deserves yeah me too yeah and there's a, a wonderful um passage from uh um this american life uh oh what's his name oh i can't think of his name either now he's got the glasses and the great he's great he's incredible anyway uh, there uh, show notes he has this incredible passage where he says like you start out when you're young and you have all of the aspirations to be fantastic right and you but you don't have any of the skill yet right and the gap that exists in being a professional and being good at it is the degree to which you can close the the space between your skill level and your taste <laughs> eventually you get good enough at what you're doing um to to recognize that you're doing good work but when you start you don't have you don't have those tools so you just produce and it's mostly crap and eventually <laughs> you know you sniff out something good and you do something good and then you are able to sort of learn something and reproduce that well for for me it's like can i do that before they're 18 though like, can I learn everything I need to learn before they leave? Because it'll be too late. You know, I got to tell you, I've got a client um, who absolutely did not. He will tell you straight up, he was a terrible father when they were young. And then he got to a place where he got sober and he started really, really working his steps. And he started really working on some character flaws. And... um he made a huge amount of progress, and then he dedicated his life to being a great dad. And he has wonderful relationships with his kids, and they will say the same. Oh. And he knows— As an adult, he was able to turn that as around. As an adult, he was able to turn it around. Oh. And he is still sad when he sees some of the effects that he imagines, you know, some of the effects in his kids that he imagines came from him. And he will yeah. still go to them sometimes and say, I feel like some of what I see, I'm see, seeing in you right now came from me, and I, I just want to apologize again. And what I, my sense is, like, uh, they get it, and they've forgiven him, and he's forgiven himself, and he's he's doing really, really beautifully. Like, he, yeah. he is, he's, it's not too late to be a wonderful father. But the clock's always ticking. Just keep that back there. Clock's always ticking. <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> maybe this gets back to this paradoxical theory of change, but it really meant a lot to me when one of my greatest teachers said to me, you know, Dodge, you can't protect your kids from their sacred wounds. You are obligated mm -hmm. to try, but you will fail. Right, right. It helps me sometimes to just think to myself, it is still my job to do to make amends for a you know a not great evening or a great parenting moment last night let's say and to work as hard as i can at having fewer of those until maybe i have none maybe but in the meantime to at least join with the possibility that i was supposed to be a jerk some of the time when he was a kid <laughs> <laughs> And it is still my obligation to do everything I can to be something else, but to just recognize maybe that wasn't all about me, and maybe even handling that poorly was right on target. Isn't that a weird thought? You know, may my life serve as a warning to others. <laughs>
Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks, Dodge. Well, looking forward to the next one. Me too. Love you, buddy. Love you back, bud.